You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like, I had a, a lot of those opportunity costs being in Cradle, um, where I turned down bigger gigs, to be 100% honest. I turned down some big gigs um, because I was doing, like, four shows with Cradle. I would t- have to turn down a six-week tour with a bigger band. Yep. Because I was loyal to Cradle. Mm-hmm. And then there comes a point where you think, well, I don't think Cradle are loyal to me. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> to be yeah. honest about it, <laughs> no, and, it absolutely. and then you, you do you think back of those moments going why why did I do this yes I was loyal to Cradle but certain people hold it over your head it's like well we gave you a career so you need to stay <laughs> oh. and when you hear that one too many times you start thinking no <laughs> no Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan here as always with Ben, who is hiding behind a mask right now if you're watching the YouTube cast, and Corey. And this week we have back again Richard Shaw, our dear friend who has played on Lost Symphony, formerly of Cradle of Filth, now doing a lot of his own projects. And this is an amazing episode where he gets into the discussion about his departure from Cradle and what he's getting into now. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy topic, and and he kind of opens up about uh, just the way he was feeling. You know, what what goes through someone's mind when you're in uh, a large successful band and you decide that uh, the better path is to leave that. So, well, I think uh, it's a yeah. it's a very poignant story that a lot of people that don't understand, like when you look behind the curtain in the music industry, how difficult it is to be a full time musician, and how hard it is sometimes to join someone else's band and yet be giving your own creativity. So, I mean, I think Richard's very resilient, and I think if you guys listen to him, there's so much that can be taken from this. Yeah, super important episode, yeah, about what goes on behind the scenes of all these decisions we make every day as musicians. So, without further ado, let's let him talk about it himself, part one, with Richard Shaw. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Benny and Siobhan, and we are super pumped to welcome back the original British ambassador, Mr. Richard Shaw. How you doing, man? Woo! I'm doing very well. The original British ambassador, but I don't think I'm the best because no one can out Steve Wood, Steve Wood. Really. <laughs> I think he belongs he in a category of his own. I think we we just need a completely separate title. He, he might be the yeah, executive own British ambassador. <laughs> I, I put him above the queen. <laughs> I got to tell you that I've been editing for a new segment on the Neurotic Guitarist. It's, it's called Storytime with Steve Wood. And, you know, we have all these episodes with Nuno Betancourt and Miles Kennedy and Tremonti. And they're all going to get like one. I can do seven, ten episodes with Steve. There's almost no editing required because he's just like, and this is why Soundgarden broke up. And we're all like. By the way, this this neurotic guitarist feature is just 2020. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm doing this Go new with thing with neurotic guitarists where we play clips in 2020. It's yeah. called repurposing of content. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for anyone that's tuning in that has not uh, been following the show for any time, we've spoken with Richard a few times. It's always some of our favorite episodes. Um, <clears throat> it's been a little while though. Uh, so. So what's new, Richard? What has changed since the last time we spoke with you? Let me think. Uh, a few <laughs> things. Um, the, the, the biggest thing being the most obvious one is that I left Cradle of Filth uh, back in March, but it wasn't announced until I think about six weeks later. Um, yeah, just to be honest, just got to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore. It was as simple as that. It was, was it, did it, what, did it have to do with touring, traveling? I mean, can you elaborate on what specifically uh, made you make that decision? Yeah, d- touring and traveling was never a problem for me. Writing, recording, I love it. The, the actual music side of things, I loved and I still love. 
um, it was all the behind the scenes stuff kind of got to me after a while. It, sure. it just got to a point where you find out things that you don't like the sound of that's been going on for a while. And uh, I don't know, a, a lot of drama and BS. And I mean, I'm a dad now. My life's pretty hectic as it is without adding unnecessary drama to the bag. And uh, no, I just got to a point where I was like, this this isn't fun anymore. Um, doing the shows is fun most of the time but it's all the other stuff that was kind of getting to me i was like it's, it's time to walk away like i said in my own little statement if it's not fun anymore it's time to step aside well do me a favor for someone as as, as lame as me and Corey, who's never like really toured seriously and we're like the idea of getting into a band like cradle filth it's probably the coolest thing we could ever do I, I'd never leave. I mean, that's the best thing that would ever happen. So, like, could you explain to someone, maybe without the intelligence of the people that they have over in the United Kingdom, what type of mm-hmm. drama, and I don't mean even specifically to you, but, like, I don't understand as a guitar player, I get into a badass band, I'm touring, what the fuck's wrong? What could be so wrong? Like, what's wrong with that? Explain it, Richard. Why? why? Yeah, what's drama? Yeah, you'd think that, but there's... <laughs> Again, <laughs> but this is the thing. Touring and writing and recording is is the dream. It really is. But to me, it came at quite a high cost. And I wasn't willing to pay that cost. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Me, me the keyboard player, and all but one of the crew didn't want to pay that cost. So I had to basically hire all new crew as well as a new keyboard player and a new guitar player. And, Jesus, uh, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? If I don't know, there's a side of me that thinks if you just treat people better, <laughs> it'll be less hassle. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I'm always so, in a nutshell. But... Just treat people better and show them re- respect that they that they deserve, and people kind of stick around. Yeah. Do you think that anything might have changed that. after you left, or after that that you know shift and having to get new people? Do you? anticipate that anything's going to change i don't know it's hard to say it mm-hmm. probably will it probably will it's probably just the, the people who w- were there and then now the people who are there now it might work better like mm-hmm. t- t- like i don't know my bs tolerance seems to have lowered over the years whereas there's a lot of stuff that i kind of let slide mm-hmm. that towards the end i was like i'm not letting that slide anymore mm-hmm. and it was as simple as that and i i know this sounds super cryptic uh but I, I i still get on well with the band i love everybody in the band um it's more other people behind the scenes fair Let's enough that way yeah yeah so. well that's a hard decision to make i mean i know so many people will hold on and stick to the one gig for their you know their whole careers you know and then they come out the end of it and they feel a little bit resentful or you know disappointed that they didn't take that leap because that takes courage i think to decide that you know, you value certain other things more and to feel secure enough in moving on in your career without worrying about any sort of negative effects of losing a gig. I mean, that's that's a big decision to make. Yeah, it, it, it became one of those things where financially it wasn't starting to make sense to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know how much to say, but you get no, talking to No, it's okay, we other, don't have to go into you, it. You get talking to other bands and other session members and because i was a session member but i also wrote for the band then you mm-hmm. start discussing stuff with other people who are in similar boats where they're session musicians but they also write for the band and they're going hang on a minute this doesn't sound as fair as what you well, got well explain mm-hmm. this to me because there's this perception <laughs> i feel like there's there's this perception that's been around for a very long time that hey if you're in a band you're rich I mean I was just watching an uh, an eight a 1986 interview with Lemmy and he's in a bed with some girl and she's like aren't you rich and he's like where did you hear that in the pro-? oh yeah we're rich I, but it, the truth is is that most of the musicians I speak to and you know you can clarify this obviously being a working class musician. It's a hard thing. Like, if you play music, it's because you want to. It's because you're driven. And there's a lot of sacrifice. And where people are thinking, oh, they're going on stage. They're signing autographs. They're selling all this sort of stuff. That's maybe, what, like one or two hours of the day versus the other 22 hours of horse shit that you have to deal with. 
are, are you really making money? Is it? Can you make money in music now? Is that a thing, or is it just like you love it so much you just burn yourself out until you can't do it anymore? Um, you can make money, but you've got to be smart about it. Like I never made a living off of Cradle of Filth. Like never. Um, I had to do other things in order to supplement those earnings. Don't get me wrong. Like when I was on tour, I was getting paid, and it was it, it was it was okay. Again, to be perfectly honest, not what it should have been, um, but it was okay. And now that I've got a family and things, it's like, okay, now I'm going to be away from my family 24-7 for months on end. I could kind of earn the same money back home. Mm-hmm. And I see them every day. Um, and Is this your like OnlyFans promo? <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably make more money on an OnlyFans, but I'm going to call it. I an only... guarantee you would. We have literally I, I, made that joke in Star Set. I was going to say, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to do an Only Dads. I think, um, like yes. you know, just start a new platform. Yeah, just pure dad jokes. Like <laughs> anyone who wants to tune in, OnlyDads.com. I'm going to do it now. Um, but uh, no, it, 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 like I say, it's. I think every musician will say this. It's Is like, that an eclipse? No, son. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think every musician I've I've ever met says the same. It's like you don't make for living. A lot of people think you do. Mm-hmm. You need the multiple streams of income, uh, which I totally get, and I knew that was part of it going in. But like I say, you talk to other musicians, you talk to other writers, and you start thinking, hang on a minute, something weird's going on. This, <laughs> like, I, I've got a f- feeling some people aren't telling the whole story here. Um, and it, it just got to a point where it's like, okay, I've got to weigh it up if it's worth me sticking around for. And the, 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 I'll be 100% honest, there was also another side of me. We started writing the f- what would have been my fourth album with the band, and I put like seven or eight songs forward for it. And I found myself going on autopilot a little bit. And I was like, this is, I, I'm doing this because I've been told I have to, not because mm-hmm. I necessarily really feel the need to write this style of music anymore. Um, so there was a lot of things going on. It's a lot of... Things that basically accumulated into me saying, "I can, can we I talk about that one thing though?" Anymore. Because when I when we met you, you were talking about how you went from playing like Andrew Lloyd Webber, being a, a studious musician, to all of a sudden you're in Cradle of Filth, which is a very extreme, you know, form of metal, and it's awesome. What what's the kind of music that resonates with you, and that like when you wake up and let's say you're not in a band, that you find yourself gravitating towards? Like when you pick up a guitar, what do you actually write? Ends of the day. Because <laughs> it's weird. I've got like how many songs do I have? There must be over a hundred songs I have written that have never been used. Just because I write for the sake of writing, because I love writing, and songs that I've never found a home, or they did in my old bands, or whether they did in Cradle. Are these recorded, or are these all in, in Richard's head that we have to like download kind, them? Kind, kind of fifty-fifty. Some of them are recorded. Uh, just bare bones stuff and then the rest of it is like ideas I've got in my head but I know it work I just need to find the time to get it down um, and that that will depend on the day and what I'm listening to like with such a diverse background yeah. I can imagine I mean with all the different experiences you had playing I mean it would be hard to pin down one style that's kind of how I feel too yeah I think that's what it is if you're a musician who loves music and I'm talking like all music as long as it's good and excites you and kind of resonates with you you'll just write and play for the sake of writing and playing for the pure enjoyment of it and to me when I was writing because I kind of had to there's a sense of like the other guys were like yeah this is great we love it and I'm sat there thinking I don't and this is my own song and I don't really like it Mm. Well, do you think that that kind of music sort of like resonated with you in a certain way and then you just kind of stopped being so enchanted by it because of the drama around it? Because I feel like that must be restrictive writing that type of music. And it's it's amazing. But, you know, people that that are all metal, 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 metal. I feel like it's it it's hard to get out of that box sometimes. And I feel like Mm. you were never in that box. So to get in that box, it might feel constrictive at times. 
A little bit. Like, like I said, I did enjoy writing the music, definitely. Um, there were times, to, like, towards the end when I like, felt like I had to. But like you say, with the drama going off in the background, it's like, okay, I've just got off a phone or an email chain with this person. That's put me in a really bad mood. But now they expect me to write. And I kind of writing begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better word it's like okay well I've got to write hopefully things will get better I'll put it into the writing but you're kind of there thinking hang on a minute I'm writing so that someone else can benefit from this mm-hmm. you have a lot of self-control I would be stewing for hours and probably not write anything I'd be like god this person is just driving me nuts it, it got to the point and this is why I don't want to come across as a bit of an arsehole, but it just got to that point. Like I said, my bullshit tolerance had been lowered to the point where it's like, okay, I've kind of gripped my teeth on a lot of stuff. And then it just, I don't know, it's like a straw that broke the camel's back thing. Where mm-hmm. somebody says one thing where you're like, okay, nah, this is, this is ludicrous now. And you're expecting me to carry on like nothing's happened. And yeah. I just can't, I can't stick by it anymore. Has this uh, changed your perspective on that area of work in general, or is this something you know? Are are I know you've got many other things going on. You're you're now a a author of a very cool uh, you know guitar uh, playing book, which I have in the back here. I'll have to dig out later for the next. Thanks, me too. Um, But uh, you know, and and you got the, the lessons going on. Obviously, being a dad, there it is, right there. Yes. Fretboard and Songwriting Theory for Metalheads by Richard Shaw. Incredible. (laughs) Check Um, it out. So, you know, obviously you're, you kind of do have those multiple things going on. Is joining another band something in the back of your mind or is it something you want to take a break from for a little while? Oh, I wanted to do it immediately. Oh, yeah. I, I never fell out of love with making music. I never fell out of love touring. Obviously, I'm a family man now and... Sharice, my partner, she's super supportive of it. She met me knowing I was a recording and touring musician. And yes, we have a son now and things change slightly, but she's still incredibly supportive and I can't thank her enough for that. When I was going through the decision, I mean, it was it was a good nine months of me kind of umming and ahhing about do I leave Cradle or not? And I was like, if it gets better, I'll kind of wait it out. We maybe it's like when you go for a rocky phase in a relationship. It's like it's not worth breaking up over. But then I think it all compounded. You go and then you start thinking about the past, going, "Oh, but what about this? This happened, and I let it slide, and I shouldn't have." And well, it reminds me of a quote, yeah. and I want to ask you if you find this true. So one of my favorites, Charles Bukowski, said, "Sadness is caused by intelligence. The more you understand certain things, the more you wish you didn't understand them." Do you feel that that's true about Cradle of Filth? I think it's true about the music industry in general. But this is what I mean. Like, I think it was just one of those things where I enjoyed it for the longest time. Then when I stopped enjoying it, it, it was time to go. It was, it was as simple as that. But saying that, I went on tour with a, another band. Like, when Cradle made the announcement, I was actually on tour in Europe with another band. And that was a whole different experience. Smaller band, smaller venues, but just as much fun musically, and there was no drama. And it was just a real good, fun touring experience without all the BS. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned just, something, not to yeah. interrupt you, but yeah, I mean, there's so many hidden costs that come with touring. Like you said, it's not just like a matter of looking at the numbers, you know, there, there's a cost of being away from your family, of not taking other gigs. I mean, it's something I face too, yeah. you know, touring with Starset. There are certain things that I've built up over the years here where I live, you know, personal things, professional things that I have to set aside willingly, you know, that I could lose forever by choosing to tour, yeah. you know. Opportunity and cost. Uh, yeah, opportunity exactly. cost. Like, I had a, a lot of those opportunity costs being in Cradle, um, where I turned down bigger gigs, to be 100% honest. I turned down some big gigs um, because I was doing, like, four shows with Cradle. I would t- have to turn down a six-week tour with a bigger band. Yep. Because I was loyal to Cradle. Mm-hmm. And then there comes a point where you think, well, I don't think Cradle are loyal to me. Mm-hmm. So... 
<laughs> to be yeah. honest about it. No, and then, absolutely. And then you, you do you think back of those moments, going, why why did I do this? Yes, I was loyal to Cradle, but certain people hold it over your head. It's like, well, we gave you a career, so you need to stay. <laughs> oh. And when you hear that one too many times, you start thinking. Um, no. I thought we gave you a career. You're playing with Marty Friedman and Nino Bancourt. <laughs> this and is Alex, the thing. Like, and we now. put you in the fucking Guitar World magazine. We fucking you, made you, you Richard. Us, we Richard. made you. We <laughs> yeah. made you. I even bought it's... your fucking book. <laughs> I mean, if you keep... Like certain people mention this, it's like we gave you a career. It's like I was already a musician way before I joined Cradle, you know? It's like, yes, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I did some incredible things. I'd like to think I'm still going to do some incredible things. This Absolutely. isn't the end of my career. Over, man. I'm, I'm just, if this is it. And certain people in the cradle camp were like, well, if you leave, you're done. You'll never, You'll never play with work another in this band again. again. You'll never work in this business again, was literally how I was met with from this particular person. Wow. Which made me kind of go, well, you're a bully now. You're bullying me into staying. That's not exactly going to keep me around, is it? Knowing that you're like... Keeps you much, around. You have a, you have a, much, you have a, you have a much nicer uh, vocabulary than I would have you know, for that situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just like bully, in any relationship. Bully wouldn't be the word yeah. I would use, but yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was just... Terrible. This, this particular person, I was just like, I, I can't... I, I can't work with this person anymore. And... I, I I can't stress this enough. It's it's I think it spells it out, but it's nobody in the band. And but when certain people are making decisions on your behalf, and you think they're the wrong decisions, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. can make those decisions, but not for me. And well, I let me ask you this: take a bit of control back. To be honest, do you feel like when you reach a certain monochrome of of uh, of success that the egocentrism starts to, to to set in for certain bandmates? Because I mean, I imagine because you meet people in bands, and there's some of them that you go, "Oh my god, they've been doing this for so long that they're not in reality." Sometimes in a good way, like our friend Shannon Larkin, he's never been in had a real <laughs> job since he was 13, so he's like, "I wonder what my turtles are doing right now." And it's the most beautiful naivety to the world. But then there's other guys that are like, "You're not going to be in." this business unless you play guitar for me Richard do you think that that's something that when people keep telling you that you're the best at something or, or you're a rock star for so long that it starts to seep into your subconscious it can do I mean ironically I'm reading a book about imposter syndrome right now and I get oh, yeah. serious imposter syndrome like even when I joined Cradle I was like they've got the wrong guy do you think you're Stockholm <laughs> syndrome for a while and then it might have been Stockholm. It might have turned into Stockholm syndrome, where it's like, well, if you think this about yourself, maybe it's true, and you should just stay here. To make our lives easier, and uh, it's I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm thinking too much about it, and that might not be true. But it is a sense of um, y- y- I've already got the imposter syndrome thing happening, and then when you've got a certain person saying, "Well, you're not going to work again." Literally, think about your family. You'll never work again if you leave this band. Was the parting words by this person when I sent an email saying I'm going. And it's stuff like that where you think, that's, dick just, move. A dick that's move. just manipulation now. You're trying to guilt trip me, using my family to guilt trip me into staying. I look at that as a challenge. It's terrible. Challenge yeah. accepted, fuckers. Yeah, it's a weird. But ben, one, you're but- kind of a different type of person. I think you would make everybody like accommodate around what you needed in the band. Somehow, you'd manage to flip it. That's why I'm not in a band. That's why everyone. Play- As I've been told by my fiance, that's why everyone leaves me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she gets mad. Everyone leaves you. And we at some point, you have to say that's accurate. It is accurate. <laughs> Self-reflection wow. is important. <laughs> it is important and weirdly enough going into that it's like there, there came a point where I was like like I was thinking do do I want to stick around this they kind of become that self reflection where you go am I going to stick around just to say I'm in this big band and that's kind of what it was becoming like this thing of if I'm being 100% open I don't want to turn it into a therapy section I don't want to get emotional but it's almost like that we like that though if, if I do this, I'll no longer be Richard Shaw from Cradle of Filth. You know? Mm-hmm. 
you were starting to, yeah. that, was kind of, that was becoming like a part of your identity you know whether yeah. you like it or not mm. i always just look at you as richard shaw the british ambassador to our show so. <laughs> but the, the overarching point is that you, you know, you exist in a value beyond your titles, you know, and that's yeah. a really hard thing to, to come to terms with because, yeah, like opportunity costs, the more time you spend in something, the more it becomes a part of what people know you for, your identity, your style, you mm. know, and a lot of people attribute it. I'm sure there are people that just follow me in some cases because of my affiliation with Starset, which is great. You know, it's oh, awesome. They're supportive. Fact, there's people that follow me just because of my association with you for your association with star sets. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a big umbrella. How do you think I feel? How do you think my imposter syndrome's going? Dude, but are I you kidding wonder. me? Yeah. I have people ask me every single day what's co- when the new Extreme Records coming out. And I'm like, <laughs> just because they saw me in an interview with Nuno, we seem to, we're buds. And like, I have a, a, a page called About Nuno on Instagram that watches every one of my stories. And I'm like, bro, it's not going to be about Nuno today. <laughs> So. Like, yeah, like, sorry. No, but it makes you wonder, too, because you don't know till you do it. If I leave this thing, are these people still going to support me uh, as an artist? You know, will they even like the other music that I do that's not this style? You know, they yeah, do yeah. it while you're a part of the group, but you never know until you leave who's going to follow you, you know? Exactly. And I'd seen it with previous Cradle of Fuff members, because let's be honest, there's been a lot of members. And you see them just either leave the music industry completely or they never do anything as big as Cradle. And that might be the case for me. I don't know yet. It's still relatively fresh. Um, I'd like to think something will come along and I'll do more. And I have been doing bits and bobs here and there and I'm still able to make a living as a musician. Um, But it's not at the same level as Cradle yet. But I'm still doing the thing. You know, and that's the way I saw it. Like, like you're saying, like, I, I think it got kind of worrying that I did almost like associate my identity as being Rich Shaw from Cradle of Filth. It's like it made me a somebody. Yeah. You in uh, in one of the first episodes uh, we did with you, like way back, we're like you were you were one of our first guests on this show. This is going back a, a couple of years. Uh, you know, <clears throat> what you talked about was performing. I think it was. It might have been download or, or one of the festivals near your, yeah, near your yeah, house download. with yeah. with uh, with your earlier band, and it was you know playing kind of the smaller stage and the dec- decent crowd. But you thought this is it. I have now I have now made it. I've played this sick show. Like you were at, at content and and excited about your music career at that level. And obviously, you had the chance to step up and then play main stage there and have yep. that huge thing. So I think that you're well equipped. Um, for this stage in your career because you've already kind of established that playing music is what you want to do and it's what makes you happy. Uh, and and despite what anyone says, I think you'll work in this industry again. I don't think that's something you got to worry about. I, I do hope so. Like, like I say, I, that still is the same for me. I'm happiest when kind of two things happen in my life. I'm either spending time with my family or I'm doing something with music. I could be writing, recording, touring, whatever it is. I I, I feel good. You know, when you get into that weird, like kind of flow state, that Zen state where like time doesn't exist, that kind of happens. And there's two things when I'm spending time with my family and when I have a guitar in my hands. And, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've been doing this a long time now. I mean, I turned pro, whatever pro means when I was 21, straight out of university, and I was making a living playing guitar. And I really didn't care what it was, but I was kind of happy. doesn't matter what it was, I was happy. And then, like I say, with the cradle thing, I just simply wasn't happy anymore. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go do something else playing guitar then, so I can be happy again. You know? Well, I, I think, I think you what have, happened. You, you <laughs> put something that. really, really good out there, though, uh, in the sense that, you first started saying that, you know, you started to associate yourself with being the guitarist from Cradle of Filth, but I, it's a little bit hippie of a mentality, but I believe that, you know, what you put out to the universe is kind of an incantation of what could possibly happen. So if you say, yeah. I am Richard from Cradle of Filth, then you will be relegated to that versus if you believe in yourself that things can happen. Because I guess one of the things that, that has made my mediocre talent and this mediocre face made for radio 
as semi-successful as I have is I've done a trust fall into the universe by saying, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, for example, when we did Lost Symphony, I'm like, ah, oh, we're going to get Marty Friedman. We're going to get Nuno Betancourt. We'll get Alex Schooling. We'll get him on one track. And we did. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things where it sounds unrealistic, but it's it, not to get all Tony Robbins on you, but the power of positive thinking. I found this to really be a, a true thing that if you believe and you start to envision what you want to do, then that will happen for you. So I full heartedly believe with how talented of a musician you are, how great of a person you are, your your intellect, I mean, because that's the other thing is, you know, we're fine. We're lucky to find great guitarists that aren't just mouth breathers. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you, you have a lot of philosophical knowledge going up there. I, I think you're only limited by yourself. And I truly mean that because if I was as talented as you, I'd be president by now. <laughs> <laughs> just well, so you know. Well, well thank you. But I was Prime listening Minister? to what you were saying, but I was I was thinking of you as being Tony Robbins, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> you you can't be Tony Robbins. You haven't got the voice for Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, I'm not got tall enough. Voice. <laughs> You're not tall enough. But but that voice, I can't take that voice seriously, man. I can't take Tony Robbins seriously. Well, I, think <laughs> I, wish I, comes I wish I could, because he comes out with some good stuff. But I'm like, man, but your voice, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I think it comes down to integrity, you know, that's sort of the overarching concept. If you really stick to what you believe in and you do it and, you know, you don't make sacrifices for the purpose of, you know, fame or acceptance or whatever, you eventually, I think, fine. I mean, it, it could take a long time, you know, but as long as you yeah. stick with it and you do what you believe in and you have that integrity, that's kind of what draws things to you because, yeah, you're right. You attract the things that belong with what you believe in. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm just happy now it's like i say it was that whole thing of going i know i should be grateful and i am grateful i got to do stuff that hardly anybody gets to do i'm do living the dream but when i'm off tour why am i getting right jittery whenever i get an email like when my phone goes off why am i thinking oh god what is it now that's that's not a way to live my life you know and I'm getting I, anxiety I, just thinking about what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, I know, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, kind of what what like, why is my mom texting me? Shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of what started happening. Like every time I, my phone lived in silent for the longest time because I was like, I got to the point where I hated the sound of my own phone going off because I was just like, almost like mentally putting on the armor. Okay, what argument are we having this time? And I don't know. And this is when happening when I'm off tour. It's like you're not even paying me now. You know, like, you're asking me right. to move my life aside, but you're not paying me for it. I'm having to get, an, they're like, why have you got another job? I'm like, because I don't make a living from Cradle of Hill. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, it's that kind of mentality where I just don't get it. It's like, put your life aside, but we won't show you the respect in return. Yeah, that's all uh, too common. It's unfortunate. You should be grateful. And it's yeah. like, I am grateful, but calm down. Whoa. Like... I'm not saying I'm not grateful. I'm just saying step on. You're the being reasonable, of course. A little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, there's only so much time I can give to you, and uh, it's almost it's like that cor yeah. that corporate mentality. Like when you go work for those big box stores, or whatever, and you're just a means to an end. Do you feel yeah. like some some bands that like when you get to a certain level, whoever joins that band is like a means to an end? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because for the longest time I didn't think I was a means to an end and I don't necessarily think I was but t towards the end it did feel a li little bit like okay you're wanting us to write the songs to keep this going for the sake of keeping it going not because of there's some genuine love there um so do you think you move from us to them like like the Pink Floyd song like you, at one point when you first joined you're us but then you become them to them um, which was originally us yeah I, I, I don't know it, it, it did kind of feel that way a little bit towards the end there were times where even when we had to be perfectly honest even I was on even less pay when I first joined the band but I was just like so happy to be doing it and it was fun and it was great I didn't have a family so it was like okay I just need to make sure I can cover my bills I don't have a family to look after it's a little easier and then t towards the end even when there was a slight pay rise it was like <coughs> 
I, I, I don't know. It's like, okay, we've, we've given you this, now give us 20 things in return mm-hmm. to benefit certain people. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you, you can't ask for this in return for this. Like, So do you think it's yeah, beyond quid pro quo? It's yeah. not an eye for an eye. It's an eye for like your entire life. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't, wouldn't go as far as that, but it, it, it did get to the point where it's like, you are asking a lot of the session musicians. Like and I've done other session gigs, but not to make it all about money, but it's like you get paid more to show up and just do your job. And then that's it. You go off tour and thank you very much. Whereas this was almost like every single day. It's like, right, you're asked to do this, 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 and this. But it's like, yeah, okay, you got to pay me for it? No. <laughs> because you should be grateful. Yeah. You're in this band. <laughs> and you're like, come on. It's not my band. I'm a session guy, you know? Mm-hmm. You, pu- do you, you think put it in your own words. That- I'm a session guy who writes for the band. Therefore, I'm not entitled to certain perks. And you so should be that, was, yeah. that was one thing I was going to actually just bring up. So, you know, generally, you know, the hired gun session situation is kind of, you know, you show up and you do as you're told, kind of like you mentioned. And that's, you know, that's the skill set, right? If you're a great session player or hired gun, you can walk into a situation, a role and fulfill exactly what that artist or band needs mm. um, in the best way possible, making them look as great as possible. The yeah. second, you know, you start writing, I mean, I look at that as a separate entity because Mm -hmm. now you're part of, you know, creating this situation you're in instead of just supporting it. So, uh, when you're writing, are you, you were still considered just hired gun. Uh, there was no like switch over to like, now you're contributing to this, you know, general IP of this project. Um, it was always a strange one cradle because it was like, yes, you are session. We pay you to go on tour. Learn the songs, go on tour. You'll get paid at the end of a tour. Cool. But then it was like this thing where, okay, you're writing for the band now. And when I first joined the band, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now I get to write in this style of music. Uh, kind of, I don't know, the romanticism of the whole thing. Going, oh my God, this is going to be a, a big project. Like more people get to hear it than would usually buy my own band stuff. This is, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. And then you do one album, and you're like, oh my God, this is an incredible feeling. Do a second album, yeah, this is great third album in my experience was like okay now we're starting to like i'm starting to clock on because i need to fulfill the obligations of somebody else so why do i hang on a minute <laughs> i thought our session here like we, we need songs okay I'm busy trying to ro- make a living because you're not paying me to write the songs right now so i kind of can i do it like what like why haven't you picked up your phone because working well, we need you to pick up your phone, Rich. It's like, um, yeah, text me. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And and don't get me wrong, it, it wasn't as simple as that. But there were times when it did get like that. It's like, wh- why not picking up the phone? It's like, because I need to make a living. It's like, what well, did we not pay you enough? Well, <laughs> load it, load it. Funny you say that. Well, but, well um, let me ask you this: when you when know. you came in with all the piss and vinegar, excited to to write that first record, I'm sure you gave them all that you got. And listen, having worked with you, you're an incredible guitarist. Did did you write all this stuff that you thought may have been your masterwork, and then it comes out, and then it's like you're the sixth thing they talk about when they're listening to really tunes that you <clears throat> kind of made from your own mind. Um. That's a difficult one to answer because I kind of went into Cradle knowing it wasn't going to be about me, uh, knowing it wasn't going to be about the session guys. You know what I mean? And it is. It's 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 this weird kind of thing because Cradle. It's almost like the, the the closest kind of band I can put it to in a weird way is it's almost like Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper isn't Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper's the band that became one guy. Cradle of kind of feels like that. It was a band, and now it's one guy, and it's almost like everyone else is a supporting role to make sure that guy and management make money. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, it's almost like, if I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest, if you call it Danny Filth, go out and call it Danny Filth, I'll happily be a session guy. 
but I'm not writing any of the songs. Well, mm-hmm. the cool thing is, though, and to compare <laughs> Alice Cooper to, to Cradle Filth, though, the one thing I've always noticed about Alice Cooper is that he has lifted up his, his musicians. So, like, yes. where Ozzy Osbourne yeah, yes. used to discover all Definitely. these guitar players, he discovered a lot of female guitars. So, or- Orianthe got huge in Alice Cooper. Then you yeah. had the Hurricane, where people yeah. are all mad about <laughs> Nita Strauss, but she's playing with Demi Lovato. Like, good for her. Good for like, her. And he, yeah, exactly. And always, <laughs> he talks about anything, that. He talked, yeah. He's like he's like the uh, the Berkeley School of Music of artists. Like he, he doesn't <laughs> want you to stay with him. He wants you to, to spread your wings and leave. You know, and kind of like go the on. high end internship that you got to yeah, get yeah. to then go <laughs> on to your. This is the thing. Like, and those artists are brilliant. I see it as the same as it's always a bit controversial when I mention this to people. But like Miles Davis, I love Miles Davis. Him himself. I don't think he's the greatest musician on the planet. I don't. However, who's Miles he, Davis? <laughs> <laughs> um, is he, he related was, to Miles Kennedy? No, Ben. Let him finish his train awesome. of thought. Let, let, let him finish his train of thought. But, but it's it's like Miles Davis. Don't get me wrong, fabulous musician, but he had a a great knack of finding great musicians that elevated him, and he got them in the scene. And Frank there's Zappa. a lot of Frank Zappa. Exactly. Frank, obviously Frank was a genius. He used to say he was the worst in his own band. He would not <laughs> have anyone that wasn't better than him. Which, by the way, I agree. In Lost Symphony, I am by far the worst. Because if you want to be a true, like, egomaniacal leader, you have to take all the credit, but make sure that you are the worst in your own band. Because you're only as strong as your weakest link. Well, I'm Axl Rose, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> lostsymphony.com yeah. yeah I know it, it's <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned that Ben as, as I look at the Lost Symphony um, the Lost Symphony uh, Instagram page which the uh, instrumental cinematic rock music a little different from the rest composed by the Benny Goodman end of description <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think my brother may have made that up. a long time ago. <laughs> you can change it. You have the password. <laughs> Say that you own it. I don't give a fuck. I won't it's notice for seven weeks. In spite of people logging in and changing the description for our own. I'm band just going to change it to "Base by Corey Pazin." That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you did. We fired you. That's true. You're, I didn't, you're, you're the good. You, uh, you actually got I'll, promoted to <clears> guitar. That's true. We're going to say Lost Symphony Guitar by Richard Shaw. How about that? Yeah, there we go. I'll <laughs> save the credit. Maybe like, people... Well, like, all guitars, like, including, like, Someone's all gonna write... soloists. <laughs> Wait a minute, but isn't that Cradle of Filth? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I feel like the need to, to, to clarify, because I know it's like, we're going a little deep. I'll be honest with you, I'm going a little deeper than I was expecting, but it's I'm, I can't, like, keep this pretense that everything was okay. Because you know, it quite clearly wasn't, you know. But I, just for record, like I was ever so grateful I got the chance to do it, and I love everybody in the band so much. Um, I just couldn't do it anymore. It needed to be fair, and for me, the keyboard player and the crew, it just wasn't fair anymore. And I think that, you articulated that's all that. I was after. That yeah. was all I was after. I was like, it just need, I'm not after all the riches in the world. I'm not after all the fame in the world. I'm not after anything like that. I couldn't give a about any of that stuff. I think everybody knows that. I mean, you're clearly very reasonable and you love music and, you know, that's your number one priority. Yeah. So It's just like, let's just make things fair. And then when it became clear that things weren't going to be fair... Um, I, well, I, well, I, how disheartening is I, it? I was unhappy and I had to go. I, well, I have to say, it seems to me, at least as an outsider, it's disheartening that they wouldn't have tried to make more things fair and to keep you because I, I got to be real. So, again, I'll go back to the first uh, Lost Symphony record. We, Corey and I were working on premeditated destruction. And if people haven't heard it, go to lostsymphony.com. Check it out. It's in 13. And we threw you a section and we just said, I hope this fucker can swim. And when you you sent us back a track, Corey and I looked at each other and we're like, did he, did he really play this? Like, this is wild. And I remember thinking to myself, and, and you know, I apologize for being so honest. I'm like, he seems too good for this band. Because like, honestly, <laughs> I, only say that, I, I only say that because <laughs> when I heard you're playing, it was astonishing. In fact, it's, I don't, again, not to, to shit on the band in the slice, but it was like, 
of all the guys we're working with with Lost Symphony, this fucking guy, the guy from Cradle of Filth, the dude like literally blowing my fucking face off with these tracks. And then when we came time to do another song, we're like, of all the people we worked with, we're like, who who could we get to do it perfectly? And even the guy that's behind us, who's not really even into the metal stuff, he's like, that Richard guy is really melodic. I love what he plays. And Corey and Siobhan and I were all like, Richard! So for me, I just feel like if I was in your band, I would have tried harder. And, and I'm an asshole, so I can I can empathize with the assholery that went on as far as not catering to you. But don't you think they should have tried a little bit harder? Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> You're but, worth uh, it. But, but then again, again, my imposter syndrome is coming in and going, yeah, but <laughs> my, I'm easily replaceable. You know, that's kind of like, it's, in Cradle of Filth, I'm easily replaceable. And that much was made clear to me. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm easily replaceable, I'm gone. <laughs> and they replaced me. It was as simple as that. And they've replaced me with someone who's brilliant. Donnie is absolutely brilliant. And we've been chatting online and he's such a cool guy. And it's as simple as that. They've found somebody who could do the job probably better than I can. And all the best to them. Uh, and I hope they end up coming out with one hell of an album. But in that band, I was. So I was easily replaceable. As simple as that. Well, I think, you know, it comes down to fairness and happiness can mean different things for different people, right? Yeah. You know, some people are completely fine being a hired gun, you know. And, of course, whether it's fair or not, what you're getting compensated is dependent on the person. But mm. to, to other people, it's like, yeah, they really want to be a part of it. You know, that's something that over time has gotten hard for me, too, is I've always been a hired gun, you know. And as a violinist, that's pretty common. You're a studio player. You're playing in an orchestra. If you're in a band, the parts are written. You show up, you learn them. Mm. You know, and over time, I've really wanted to, and that's why I love Lost Symphony, is getting more involved on the creative side of it. You know, and so some people can go their whole careers and feel completely satisfied with that. And then others will branch off and say, well, no, you know, I want to write and be a part and have a stake in the things that I'm creating here, you know, and it's no longer enough for me to do this or do that or be a part of someone else's project that will move on without me, you know, yeah, and for, exactly. for each person that's different. It, it is kind of ironic, weirdly, like, like as soon as I left cradle and went on tour with king 810 i all of a sudden i found this weird thing that happened creativity wise where i was just like here's loads of songs <laughs> <laughs> it was really strange the like, floodgates I, opened you you I, unlocked I, I, a secret I, passageway like i think in the two weeks that followed me leaving cradle of filth even while i was learning the king 810 set so i was keeping busy it was long wasn't like i left and it's like i'm gonna stew on it it was like thankfully i've got another band's songs to learn i need to prepare for that i need to make sure i've got all the gear ready every but i, I was also writing for another band and just for my own things just for the sake of it i think in the two or three weeks following me the world didn't know i'd left but i obviously i'd sent the email saying i'm gone in the two or three weeks that followed, I think I wrote close to 50 songs. And it was just like this, there you go, cool. Everything I didn't know was there because I was too busy concentrating on doing the cradle thing. And all of a sudden it was like, cool. Now that I am no longer Richard Shaw from Cradle of Filth, in a weird way it was like, okay, you are now Richard Shaw. What are you going to do? Do you think your subconscious was writing was writing as Richard Shaw, not from Cradle of Filth, while you're in the band going, fuck you, dude, you're going to leave this shit. I'm going to keep writing. So then when it was over, <laughs> it's like, hey, man, I have a whole album ready for you in our own project called Richard Shaw's Music. I mean, the, 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 there was a whole bunch of songs. There was about an album's worth of material that I really should get down. I, I have it written down on notation, but not like recorded or anything where I've got. Wait, like, you can read music? Yeah. <laughs> We've been over this. Check out Richard's earlier episode. Richard's book. Yeah. <laughs> He'll help you. Um, thank you. By the <laughs> but, way, I um, don't like that yeah. it says just metalheads because I feel like I've used this in my lessons for people that aren't metalheads. So that yeah. was my only thing I didn't it like says, about this. And it other says, genres too. Come on, read the fine print. Yeah, but but yeah. I can't. <laughs> but I'm colorblind, so I can't actually see that. There's yeah, a, there's but metal is, is the virtuosic. You know, everyone wants to learn the metal. So if you know, if you make it known that, that there's metal in there, you might get a. That, that's I, the I thing with that, with that book. It was like a 
a thing where I, I knew there was, I had followers because of a cradle thing and I'll be ever so grateful for those people. And it was like, I always got a lot of questions from people who played metal going, how do I do this? How do I do this? In a lot of my lessons or just sending me social media messages or whatever. And I was like, it's time to get this in a book. I've wanted to well, write I can tell you forever. the best thing that you could tell you wrote this for metalheads. You explain um, intervals by, by, by saying songs to people like, it sounds like this. And I'm like, oh, it's just the heart and soul chords. Is it, uh, that's how you go to the minor six from the major one. Oh, dun, 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 dun. and you gave me a lot of concepts in here that like, it sounds like dummy, but like, I'm a dummy and I'm a metalhead. And now like when I do lessons, I'm like, well, it sounds like this song. And I just open up the page like seven in Richard's book because you've made a lot of things that didn't seem tangible to someone maybe who isn't as studious of a musician. And I really like that. So I guess where it is like for metalheads, it's it's really geared, you're saying something to people like me who that can barely your, read. Your next, your next book or, or DVD series should just be metal for fucking idiots and just go <laughs> I through mean, and, and the, write, the writing's pretty big. And it's like, hey, dumbass. You know, there's shug on, open shug here. Here we go. Yeah. No, but there's just a lot of things that I, I found. Like, I was very fortunate. I was, because there's this one part of the book where I talk about just, I, I don't know, there's, there's a... F not a flawed concept, but I think people a lot of, put a lot of emphasis on going, you've got to learn your scales, you've got to learn your five boxes of major and minor pentatonics, you've got to learn your seven three-note string shapes and all this. And then as soon as I needed to do it in a different key, I was like, ah, shape one. Let's start at shape one. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just starting anywhere on the neck, like a, or I could see my hearers do. And then I learned this concept, talk about that in the book, but even... I was very fortunate. I was taught by people who, who really understood theory in the same way they were like going, you know the sound you hear in your head? This is the theoretical reason for it. I was like, oh, instead of learning an entire textbook's worth of theory and then going, cool, now put it on my guitar. I don't know. Can I tell I you, know I, got schooled, I, got, I got I schooled. I got schooled in person. <laughs> I got you know? schooled in person by Carol Kay, the legendary bass player. Wow. And she says, oh, you musicians like to learn scales and all it's like all you need to know is the chordal scales i'm like what do you mean if you know the notes within the chords that you're playing you'll never need anything else and i'm like what do you mean and she starts showing me she's like why would you ever play other notes unless you're playing jazz but then it's deliberate and i and i i realized that what i've been doing because i'm not very classically trained like someone like Siobhan so I'm not stifled by music theory I realized a lot of what I was doing just by ear is playing notes within the chordal scale so I didn't go oh that's a Phrygian scale or I'm mm. playing in the Locrian mode right now um, I, I just go that just sounds right but I'm playing over a C, uh, you know, a C7 flat five and it's like you have to play the notes within that scale to sound normal unless you're trying to be jazz mm. yeah yeah, I, I, I do talk about go. that kind of thing in the book where it's like, okay, this is, yes. Is that past great. page eight? Because I don't know it's if I got past there. page eight. <laughs> okay. But uh, I'll it's, try it's to like, read that far. It's like, um, it's not like I say it's for metalheads, but this stuff is used all over the place. Like that certain concepts where I was explained to it as a metal musician, but then I realized, shit film composers do exactly the same. Mm -hmm. They just have a different palette to work with, different instrumentation to work with. I was like, that's why the main theme in Jurassic Park sounds so epic, you know? And then you can go, well, Dream Theater do, <laughs> Dream Theater do a <laughs> similar thing, but the instrumentation's different. I was like, oh. But you can even relate it to Van Halen do the same thing. Metallica do the same thing. Earth, wind, and fire do the same thing. It doesn't matter who it is. And it's like there's a reason why I think people are drawn to certain styles of music and certain chord progressions. Like I watched a thing with Rick Beato recently where he did the interview with Sting, and Sting's talking about what draws people to music is surprise. Like they mm -hmm. like to hear surprise in chord changes <laughs> or in melody or instruments, whatever it may be, it's surprise. Is that why and I'm surprised when Sting sounds good? <laughs> 
Just kidding, I love Sting. <laughs> but um, but I think genuinely a lot of people are. And I've been doing this concept with a lot of people either in my lessons or even when I've just put videos on my social media. And people seem drawn to certain... I, I play a certain chord progression and they're just like, oh, that chord sounded incredible. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a theoretical concept. That's not too crazy. But nobody thinks to do it in a lot of modern pop or especially as a metal player i think a lot of metal players are drawn to fast is good you know and which which it is don't get me wrong but um <laughs> but it's it's not all it is you know to mm. me it's that element of surprise if there's that changing melody that changing chord progression it, I, it's, it's interesting you say that because like a lot of the classes that i have with people i've been doing some songwriting <laughs> classes i go and, and one of the things i say is go find songs that you like and find the moment that you like the most and let's analyze it. So yeah. like for me, with a lot of like Queen songs, I love how they go from major to minor, but then they'll go over to the minor, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? But they'll play something different in the, in the left hand. So it creates a tension. Yeah. And I realize that there's like all these magical tricks. Like if you listen to Elton John or Billy Joel, they're never playing the same thing in the left hand as they're playing in the right hand because it's mm. always a constant moving tension of ascending or descending. And yeah. like, you know, when you're playing these pop chords and it's just like, you know, A to G to D to C, like, but what if you did like A over D? And like, these are all these concepts that like, if you go back, you know, I, I was watching our interview with Rusty Cooley the other day and he said something really cool in the sense that like, you know, if you listen to metal all the time, you're gonna be stuck in this metal box. You know, that's why... Like, you know, listen to Bulgarian folk tunes, listen to Bohemian music, listen to classical music. Listen and to Lost Symphony. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to Lost Symphony. You can hear all the crazy shit that we listen to. You know well, beyond I mean? like, writing, it applies like John to John Williams. But I was going to say it applies oh, to performing too. Like classical music, it, you know, it's it, it's the same. It's not changing. Mozart violin concerto is what it is, right? But I mean, what I love about certain performers is the surprise. You know, they throw something in that's like spontaneous or like a dynamic shift or something that's like unexpected. You know, and yeah. that's what's brilliant to me too. So I mean, yeah, writing, performing, it's. That makes a oh, lot of can sense. Can you explain that? Do you mean like, so if like if Heifetz were to play like the, the Paganini's 24th Caprice versus, um, you know, you playing the 24th Caprice, is it the way, the dynamics he instills on it that aren't necessarily written on the page that are the surprise to you? Because I yeah, feel like well, it's so regimented with you. With, well, with classical well, sometimes, music. yeah, it depends on the composer. But like, for example, Baroque music, earlier stuff like Bach, there's nothing written there. Yeah, there are certain traditions that you may want to adhere to but there's so much room for interpretation that you Wait, know, is there less notation like there's not as much like pianissimo or like exactly there's almost no dynamic oh, markings it, or articulation it, markings yeah when did that come into music so is that like so that's 17th century right or i would is it 18th say like century? classical like the classical period like around you know haydn mozart at least for violinists or pianists that's kind of when you know and then as you got more into the romantic period it was very very like all right there's a subido piano here and this is exactly how you're supposed to play it but that's but interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't know that. But if you go back and let, like, listen to any of the box sonatas or partitas for violin, like every performance that's online or whatever is different, you know. And there are certain things that might be consistent, but <coughs> that's how people establish their, you know, performing personality as a classical musician is, you know, how they tune their violin, what type of bow strokes they use, what type of instrument they play, what you know, left hand, right hand. I'm sure same with guitar. I think if a true musician would read that and play it as intended with every note, the same exact velocity. But what we're saying is, is that, that where you have that with a lot of the you know 19th century music, I didn't know this, but Baroque music doesn't have as much of that notation. So do you think that maybe Chopin was sitting there listening to one of Bach's pieces saying, yo, pianissimo, pianissimo here. Like, yo, he started with yo. Crescendo, crescendo. Maybe he didn't, Bach didn't write this. And then, and then he's like, we need to create these these notations in Italian to let these fuckers know that this is exactly what I want. Well, but it's always funny when people overanalyze some of the markings too, because Chopin, if you look at it, he's got a lot of these polyrhythms where like the left hand will play something that's in like a different, like a sextuplet with like a triplet yeah. in the right hand or the four, left handle. Know. Well, well, like handle the musician. No, but but you know the intention is that it's supposed to sound free and kind of flowing. You know, it would and be then like trying to notate too uh, Van Halen solo. It wouldn't uh, yeah, make sense on exactly. you know in notation. It's just exactly. Like, these notes fit in this space and it's perfect exactly. and you're not yeah. going to nail it. So just move on. Yeah. Well, no, here's a notation. Just land on your feet. Yeah. Cause that's what Van Halen does. <laughs> he used to subdivide notes. He wouldn't do eight. He wouldn't do 12. He'd be like seven 
11. But at the end of the day, whenever he hit the one, he landed on his feet. And that's what's cool about Van Halen. But the amount of rests you'd have to put and like a small, it's fucking ridiculous. Oh, it's that's like why I never tried to play Van Halen. It's like, here's 32 bars to take a solo and you have no idea where the one is in jazz. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we're back to the theme. And somehow we made it there all together. Is <laughs> that nice little hesitation at the end? Like, ah, no, no, we're, all right, we're back, we're back. We're back. Thank God deliberate. for jazz drummers. Yeah, because I would lose the one no matter what. I went but. to, uh, I just, just a little, I went to my first jazz concert ever when I was in Austria at this like tiny little like uh, concert venue in this old building. Uh, that sounds it amazing. Was John, John Schofield trio. Uh, wow. And oh, it Schofield. Was, fucking hell yeah, dude. And it, it really taught me something. Uh, I, I fucking hate jazz. <laughs> it's awful it is awful my favorite part of every jazz piece was when he started going to a melody and played something that everyone recognized and the whole crowd cheered and then they'd play something and everyone would sit there confused for for 15 20 minutes so i i'm admitting it i'm i'm, I'm out of the closet that i i do not like jazz i know we've talked about it many times i gave it i gave it my best shot I liked the part where the drummer hit the snare harder than a ghost note. That was exciting. And it seemed like the entire room freaked out. They're like, holy That's crap, drum solo. A little bit of rock. A little yeah, bit of like rock. It came out. There's a backbeat. There's a backbeat. Oh, shit. I'm like, yes, yes. And then it was just back to... And then it was just three found- dude, three dudes playing their own songs for 20 minutes. And then every now and then they'd come together for like three minutes and everyone would cheer and be excited. And then they'd go back to doing their own thing. So uh, I could tell you where jazz hill, got good for me. I'm on. <laughs> there's only there's only one record for me where jazz was was right uh, and for me is David Bowie's Black Star because when David Bowie was dying and nobody knew it he decides he's going to make one last record didn't tell anyone he had cancer he went to a bar in New York City and he found this crazy freestyle jazz band and basically took these like 25 year olds back back to their own backstage area because it's him at their show saying <laughs> hey I'm David Bowie and they're like who and they're like yeah I'm going to die um, can you come play on my record and if you listen to Black Star. It's some of the craziest, craziest, crazy fucking jazz playing. And it's like free form. But then David Bowie reels it in. And it's like so surprising. But then it has so much melody because then you have David Bowie singing over it. So I encourage you. Like for me, the only time that that's really existed for me in a way that works is exactly how you said when they go to melody. But then it's followed by total surprise. But then just as you're losing it and your eyes are going glassy. David Bowie sings. Well, there's such a large spectrum of jazz music. You know, you have to find what suits you. I mean, if you want, I would check, check no, out. No, there o- isn't. Yes, there is. Check out Oscar <laughs> Peterson. Is. I love, I love jazz Lies. piano. I, I like piano centric jazz. You know, so it just kind of depends on the combo, the style. You know. I will also say when uh, we had Rodolfo uh, uh, Zuniga on, I listened to his. I liked his music. Uh, so I'm not. Awesome. I was. I was being more facetious. Is that, that jazz though? It, oh that, yeah, he's he's jazz, yeah. but he plays all styles. But I mean, but, his his. That's more than jazz, jazz to me. Good. Apparently, that's what I like more than jazz. But <laughs> more uh, like fusion. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The uh, the the I like I like when musicians come together to play something that elevates them. There's something about the uh, the freeform stuff that I just I can't. I guess I listened to too much very uh, strict prog metal growing up. I guess so. Like I like I like things to be locked. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll I know what does. Rodolfo has musicians play what seems to be completely random lines, but in tandem. So maybe that's like same thing with Dream Theater. Like John Petrucci's probably like, you know that John Schofield guy? No one can listen to him, but let's write something as fucking weird as that. But then have John Moo Young and Mike Portnoy, all, or Mike Mangini, depending what year, um, all lock in together. Now it's not jazz. Now it's progressive Dream Theater. There it is. <laughs> and, and now uh, on this incredibly it. weird note, uh, I think we're going to end part one with Richard Shaw. <laughs> is it an 11th? Is it an 11th note? <laughs> I think the last 10 minutes did not even include Richard. Sorry. No, we it's talk- fine. It's <laughs> quite all right. I was enjoying listening. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone off the rails. We haven't done that in a while, probably since the last time we had Richard on. Um, but <laughs> we love him. Yeah. So uh, thanks you know, for hanging this first, first hour, Richard, in the next hour, let's get into, you know, what you have going on now and, and what the future holds. Um, anything you want to let people know about aside from your awesome book that would make a great gift for any musician, metalhead or otherwise. And Lost Symphony chapters one and three also featuring Richard Shaw, lostsymphony.com. You said it there. It's the book. And I'm just doing more things, which we'll talk about in the next episode. All right. Where can people All get right, the so book, by the way? Uh, Amazon. Amazon, and it is called Fretboard and Songwriting Theory for Metalheads and other genres, too. 
All right, so stay tuned for part two with Richard Shaw. We can't wait to dive in next. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 89, featuring Mikey Doling of Snot and Shannon Larkin of Godsmack. Check it out. Uh, How about this? We had the Snot house, right? All the guys in Snot lived together in one house. Yes. Okay. And we rehearsed next to the local strip club next door. So we'd be jamming in the day, take a break and go into the strip club and pull the strippers <laughs> out. Oh yeah, they'd be wanting to hang out with us and we're snot. And we'd they'd come and watch us jam and then we'd take them back to our apartment or not apartment house, to the snot house, and they would buy us all groceries and you know they had money, <laughs> we didn't. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.